0: You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now... Here is today's message. Well, good morning, Calvary family. Um, it may seem a little strange to notice that I am not there with you. Yet, yes, I am actually live. And I'm actually live from Southern California. And i um, happy to be able to share with you. But one of the things that I talked to the um, elders and deacons Early on is that I have a friend in Southern California who sometimes texts me on short notice to come out and to uh, to fill in for him. And my friend Rick Warren um, texted me; I think it was Thursday, uh, sent out an email um, that he was uh, sick. Actually, he had shared with the whole church here that he had COVID symptoms, and he does not have COVID. He subsequently has uh, tested; will that be negative? Which should be positive, you know what I mean? But he's good but he's sick and he'll be fine. And But I had to come out here, got to come out here. And so I talked to the elders and deacons of uh, well, the chairs and we decided to do it like this. So I'm thrilled to be able to come and share God's word with you today. Um, and let me just say to Susan, we're so glad you are here. Thank you for your work in Romania. Pace domna to you. And thank you for your work there. Calvary, as all of us know, has a long history in being engaged and involved in God's global mission. But last week, you may have noticed that in the sermon, I sort of had too much to cover. And so I, I did I did what pastors call, um, getting it elsewhere and elsewhere, I pulled the ripcord, and I showed you something. I said, we're going to get to this next week. And so I think today's passage is so essential that I wanted to actually, uh, I have actually subsequent talked. Tom is doing a great job. Um, and we and we all love Tom, by the way, you can hear me better from Southern California than you could hear Tom with his microphone off. But that's another story for another day. Um, but the, the uh, Tom, Tom has been emailing me. So give me the list of messages and a rightful question. And by the way, I should also mention to you that I'm looking forward to being with you uh, through the fall as we continue this together. I've been invited by the deacons and the elders to continue in that role and uh, looking forward to continue to serve you as interim teaching pastor. We've kind of scheduled out the next, uh, well, at least through uh, through the end of the year. But Tom's like, well, we're, I need the sermon messages and, and a, a rightful question. And I've just been struggling with how many weeks do I need to take on this passage? And so I, I actually, Tom, I'm gonna send you the the notes now because I've decided I needed another week on this passage. Now here's here's why. The passage we're looking at here, which I'm actually rewinding a little bit, the passage we're looking at here, is actually really key to understand all of the gospel of Matthew. So um, it's actually, I'm going to call the message a higher standard, uh, the iceberg principle, and I'm actually going back and forward at the same time. We're going to cover Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 22, and I want to start with kind of a rewind on the law. I want to rewind to where we were last week. We actually... We actually addressed this last week, but I want to come back to where it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the reason I want to come back to this is this is the um, hermeneutic, which means how we rightfully interpret scripture. This passage is the hermeneutical key for all of the gospel of Matthew. So if at Calvary we don't get this, then all of Matthew fails to make sense. So I wanted to rewind a little bit, sort of go through, talk about what this is talking about, um, and then walk through the first of, of multiple examples that Jesus gives. Now um, I want to tell you that I I, I, I said you saw the title was the iceberg principle, and I'm kind of fascinated and with uh, with um, with icebergs. And regrettably, my fascination with icebergs today is going to be your fascination with icebergs, but. Um, Obviously, this is a, an artist's rendition of what an iceberg uh, looks like, but I want you to remember that because you can see a few things. I think they're incredible natural phenomena. By definition, an iceberg is a large piece of, um, of ice uh, but it's made out of fresh water. It's broken off of a glacier generally and it is floating freely in open water. Because it's made of fresh water, it actually f- floats in the salt water, it actually floats in the salt water. The density of the two different kinds of water causes the iceberg to float in a certain, very particular way, they, based on the Archimedes principle. Those of us, in some of you physics people will, um, you know, but Jim Canary could tell you what that is more in detail, but, um, but we often, we can often be deceived by the size of an iceberg. And of course, what immediately comes to mind with us is the, uh, the titanic and i really don't want your thought of the iceberg to be only driven by the titanic um because that's not the point today the point today is is we only see uh 10 of it actually nine, approximately nine percent of the iceberg is above the water and 91 is below water according to the archimedes principle so um so we can be deceived by the science of it because we only see 10 percent of it so we can actually look at it and just see the tip of the iceberg, right? So that's the tip of the iceberg is a phrase that we use. There's so much underwater we don't see. And also it could be, you know, in the picture I showed you, it was sort of like under the water, like a diamond, like that kind of shape. But the reality is it could be, it could be all different kinds of shape under the water. Now, what I want to look at today is, first of all, we don't want to caricature the way the first century Jewish people were, because there were many who were, who understood the 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 law was not just about the outward expression, the thing you see above the water line. but what Jesus was responding to was um, a lot of what's going on in the first century Judaism, and I think this uh, this this uh, iceberg is a good analogy of the passage we're going to investigate this morning. How how Israel and we understand the law is like the ten percent of the iceberg that we can't see, but there's 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 much more. Uh, of the law that we can't or won't see right it's we can see the letter of the law but we can't see the spirit of the law so we're going to look at how jesus responds to this um, false understanding of the law in his day so that's going to be our our focus so matthew we're here in matthew and we're looking at matthew chapter five we're in the sermon on the mount so matthew chapter five here's our text and uh and we're going to look at matthew chapter five specifically um verse 17 and then uh and then we'll walk through the rest. It says this um do not think that i have come to abolish the law and the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them right for truly i say to you until heaven and earth pass away not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished therefore Whoever relaxes one of the least of these uh, commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and then it goes on. This is how far we're going to get today, because that's the rewind. We actually were covering that last week, and you could tell last week that I kind of thought, you know, I need more on this. Um by the way i thought about re-recording it but i thought it's better just to see sometimes the preacher says you know we need more on this um you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but i say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council whoever says you be you fool will be liable to the hell uh, to the hell of fire now um we're going to walk through all of that. We're going to walk through all of that. But I want you to start. I want to start by, um, and we're going to talk about the next several Sundays. We're going to be investigating six examples starting this week of how Jesus fulfills the law. And but I mentioned last week, and this is the tantalizing um, picture that I put up and then didn't get into. See, some scholars approach it this way. Let me just share a screen with you so you get a picture. Some some scholars approach it this way. Now, I want you to know that not everybody uses this. In the same way, okay? People, uh, I mean, I'm using something that it actually doesn't fit every Old Testament law, but just looking broadly, some scholars talk about that there's three kinds of the law, right? And there's ceremonial law, there's civil law, and there's moral law. Now, when Jesus spoke, he actually was speaking as if is and saying he was fulfilling the entirety of the Old Testament. But when it comes to the law, I want us to understand there's different kinds and different ways for us to understand the law. Um, Ceremonial law, right? Earlier, the scripture reading specifically addressed that. There were some things, you know, God saying, I don't don't need, I'm not pleased by all your sacrifices when your heart is not right. But we no longer today come to God through ceremony that makes us pure. We come through Christ who made us pure. Okay, so this is really key. So in the Old Testament, there were these elaborate ceremonial rituals, purification rituals that we don't have to do today uh, because and this is how Christ fulfills the law. This is why, remember, hermeneutics is the science of understanding scripture. This is why this passage is such a hermeneutical key to understanding all of the gospel of Matthew and much of the New Testament is that. We no longer come to God through ceremony that makes us pure, we come through Christ who made us pure. So that, that changes it. And and, and actually, we, we see this even specifically said in the book of Hebrews, where it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, we have at Calvary a long connection to Messianic Jewish ministry and work, and uh, I mean, long, long connection to this, right? Uh, Pastor David, um, but, but prior to that. Um, and one of the questions that inevitably somebody will ask is, well, why do we not follow certain principles, certain ceremonies that are clearly contained in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament as followers of Jesus? Now, some people choose to do some of those things voluntarily, right? Messianic synagogue might do some of those things voluntarily, but just so we're clear, that's not a binding ceremonial command on the follower of Jesus today. So that's important. It's impossible for these things to to be. The song the song puts it so well, right? The song the song says it this way: uh, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So um, so that's the ceremonial. So then the civil law in the Old Testament um, is like rules like 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 it's like a law code right but we are not a righteous nation but are scattered among the nations as kingdom exiles who gather in churches so in leviticus there might be specific laws about uh skin cleaning right there's actually if you're reading through the book of the bible you get to the skin disease chapter it's sometimes a little much It's all inerrant, it's all inspired by God. Actually understanding it helps you to understand how God is caring for his people with these kinds of civil laws. Um, And 2000, uh, actually more than that, centuries and centuries later, those civil laws are not directly binding. Now they'll often say things that are important for us to know, but they're not directly binding on us. We actually live in societies with uh, moral codes that are often unjust moral codes. Now, there are people, Christians, who would like to apply all of the Old Testament uh, laws to today. And I would say that um, that can become a—people have different—I don't want to caricature people, but people have different ways of understanding that. Um, I think it's helpful for us to see that the civil law was for the nation of Israel. I would think that we would see in the law and say, well, that wouldn't be something we would do today. Um, But at the same time, we would look in the law— And say we see a loving God helping, not helping, directing his people to live rightly as a nation. So that's so we got ceremonial law. We've got civil law. We put it back up here on the screen. Um, We've got. um, And by the way, let me just say, too, with all this magic that we're doing right now with the screen, Mick and the team have just done a great job to enable this to happen. So, so kudos to Mick and so appreciative of him. But why don't you just do this? Let's take a moment and just thank all the people who work so hard to set up all the things that take place. We do that, just join with you, let's, let's do that. Let's just thank them, okay? We're very thankful for, for, for what they do. It's not easy to set up every week at Hunter College and soon weekly, soon weekly, both exciting and challenging for some of our teams. Back to the moral law. So ceremonial, civil, and moral law. So moral law, now we are a people made righteous by Christ, empowered by the spirit, to live moral lives as described in both testaments. So the moral law is actually um, laid out in different places. Sometimes, by the way, again, this is why this is an imperfect example, because sometimes these things are all found in the same uh, passages. So moral is how to behave like the 10 commandments uh, still applies to believers today under the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, We we love our neighbor perfectly, right? Uh, And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He loved his neighbor perfectly. He died for his neighbor and we'll see today ultimately how that applies to, um, to the Christian today. So, um, so whether you see these three categories as means to understand Jesus' fulfillment of the law or a more general approach, where Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the law and our guide to interpreting it, as we see in the next six examples, next several weeks, we have to remember that kingdom righteousness isn't concerned with, um, I'm quoting a scholar here, the negative goal of avoiding a specific sin, but more demanding goal of discovering and following God's will for his people. That's from R.T. France. I'm a big France fan and, and use, use him a lot in the study and gospel of Matthew. So Jesus is showing us that his coming does not contradict the law, but fulfills it, brings it to its intended goal. The religious leaders of the day miss this. Uh, now, again, people, remember, not everyone thought the same way in first century Judaism. There's actually different sects and groups, but they focused on the rule that Jesus is addressing, Uh, The people focused on the rule, missing the relationship that Christ came to offer. Now, here's the thing. I mean, Matthew's making this clear what's going on, right? Uh, Matthew 1 through 4, um, Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament, right? We no longer practice sacrifice in the Old Testament because Jesus is the full and final sacrifice. That's almost the whole theme of Hebrews. It's not that none of the Old Testament applies. You can't understand. However, this is key. You cannot understand rightly the Old Testament. This is a bold but biblical claim. You cannot understand rightly the Old Testament without Jesus and the New Testament. We believe that that was the fulfillment of those things. And starting with our text today, we'll see six specific examples of how Jesus fulfills the law by showing how our obedience flows out of our discipleship, grounded in a righteousness found in Jesus rather than being obedient to the law in hopes of creating righteousness, right? Important distinction hermeneutic key. So it is a greater righteousness than the law, and you'll hear that over and over again. It almost becomes repetitive, and if it wasn't from Jesus, you might think, why does he keep saying this over and over again? We got to get this, right? So but to do that, we're going to have to walk back a little bit into first century Judaism. Remember, there are different sects and groups, and we're going to have to understand a little bit of that, which I think will be fun for us because some of us, um, you know, love and have an appreciation for the history of of the the, uh, the Jewish people and have been connected to you know, evangelizing um, the Jewish people for such a long time. So the religious leaders were also a lot like Christians today who don't understand the grace of God through Jesus and seek to obey the law, make new rules, not to make us right with God, but because God has made us right with him, right? That's the way, I, I think I said, that. Let, me, let me say it again so we make sure I do that right. Religious leaders were a lot like Christians today who don't understand the grace of God through Jesus Christ And if they don't understand the grace of God through Jesus Christ, they don't understand that that we don't pay the law to make ourselves right with God, but because God has made us right with Him. They get lost in working for the Lord. They get lost in working for the Lord. Um, And in doing so, they they lose the focus uh, on the Lord. So um, what is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about? Well, just like the word fulfill, Jesus is going to say you need to have greater righteousness or righteousness needs to exceed, your righteousness needs to exceed, I think the ESV likes to use. Matthew uses righteousness in his gospel where it means a little different than righteousness in Paul's writings. I've said that a lot of times, but it's so important. I don't want you to miss it um, because when Matthew is using the term righteousness, it means to live in accord with God's character, will, and coming kingdom, to live in accord with God's character, his will, and his coming kingdom. Again, different than Paul's usage where righteousness is right standing before God. You remember the example I gave? I talked about going down to get booked at the tombs. I talked about getting a book from a library. uh, And I talked about a book. You know, a lot of ways we use the term book, but they mean different things. So Matthew's usage of the word means that God expects actions and lifestyles that are in keeping with God's kingdom. So righteousness in this case is more than obedience to legal rules. now I grew up uh, I grew up Catholic, and now I'm Baptist. so I want you to know I understand rules and people who think that by following the rules, God will be happy with them, and the guilt that comes with it, right? Baptist guilt and Catholic guilt are real, very real things. Um, now, biblically, um, we've got to acknowledge that Heaping rules on people, rather than having being inclined towards mercy, remember that a few days, a few weeks ago, um, is is sometimes our pattern as Christians, and it certainly was the pattern of the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus was relating with. They had that down. Jesus says their righteousness, though, is insufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, Jesus pictures the scribes and the Pharisees as being outside of God's rule. So obedience isn't enough if you're outside of God's rule. The kingdom. Obedience isn't going to placate or please God in some way. Uh, This now, uh, this is key, right? So it's for Jesus and for us, it's more than uh, Jesus way of interpreting law, which is going to be our way. It's more than external observance, but internal conformity to God's heart of covenant love, right? This comes by the power of the spirit, through a relationship with jesus by faith again i'm really digging in here but there's a reason we've got to get this or else nothing else makes sense matter of fact you'll hear me refer back to this particular message on many times where i'll say hey make sure that you uh make sure that you uh watch this message later on so uh the law says for example no gathering food on the sabbath but jesus says i'm um, paraphrasing here if david can eat the bread of priests unlawfully then we can pick grain on the sabbath if we're hungry the law says, do not work on the Sabbath, but Jesus says, do good to, again, paraphrasing here, Matthew 12, do good to others on the Sabbath, even if it takes work to accomplish good. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, don't think about what happens when you die. I mean, it certainly relates to that, but don't, that's not primarily how Jesus is using the term. The kingdom of heaven, in this, in many instances, is not a uh, spatial, spatio-temporal place. It's not up yonder, Right? Jesus isn't talking about moving from one location to another. So in your seat right now, right there at Hunter College, or if you're watching online, um, are you subject to God's rule? If so, and if you submit yourself to this kingdom, and we do that as followers of Jesus by grace and through faith, you're in his kingdom. So if you're living for your own self to fulfill your own desires, even to follow the rules for the sake of a rule follower, likes to be religious, then you're outside the kingdom of heaven because Jesus teaches that kingdom citizens look to him as the model to live for God and to walk according to the law of love. Okay. So remember last week, I talked about going to the eye doctor, right? I partly, I mentioned that because I just got a notice from my eye doctor that I need to get my eyes checked again. And um, so I got to go back to the eye doctor and remember how they've got this big machine that they put in front of you and they say, clear, blurry, clear, blurry. And at some point, I'm just making it up. I'm just trying to say something so that she feels that I'm paying attention because I can't can't really tell. I'm like, a little bit better, less better, maybe. Uh, This is kind of a good analogy for Jesus and the law. Sorry for two of them here. Before Jesus, we had the law, but we saw it dimly because our hearts weren't conditioned to follow it. But with Jesus, we actually see the words of the law, but we also see past the words of law to its meaning, things come into focus. Now we're seeing more clearly. We see that love is the motivation behind the law and the prophets. It's not enough to obey; we must live according to Jesus' law. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the teaching of the Old Testament. They were looking at the tip of the iceberg. Some of the uh, Jewish sects and groups that Jesus was responding to. We're looking at the tip of the iceberg, but Jesus is going to take us way deeper. And I love that. I love. You can tell I love this passage. Jesus shows us that kingdom people live by a higher standard of the heart and that's my theme for today. If you're a note taker, jot this down. Jesus shows us that kingdom people live by a higher standard of the heart. Now, let's let's take a look and I haven't used the PowerPoint in a while and I know you love when I use the PowerPoint because the technology here is amazing thanks to Mick and the team and Cassandra and others. All right, so let's take a look at the um, at the passage. The tip of the iceberg, which I know is not exactly the typical outline point I use. But let's look at the tip of the iceberg, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, this is referring to Old Testament, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, that's a a true thing. That is a factual thing. But you're going to have to get used to a phrase Jesus used, and that phrase is, you have heard. Now, he doesn't say, and it's wrong. What he says is, is that you have heard, because this is what you heard, but I say to you. Now, sometimes people use that as like a contrast. It was actually, uh, it was actually a heretic in the, uh, in the early church who said, you know, Jesus is actually contrasting, saying this is what the Old Testament says, but I'm going to say this in the New Testament. So um, he quotes the sixth commandment here, by the way, from Exodus 20, you shall not murder. So, um, so, so, they, so what's, what's the distinction here? Many have understood Matthew 5, um, 21 through 47, as like as antithesis, or Jesus being opposed to the Old Testament law. This is what the Old Testament law said, but this is what I say. But as we said last week, this is not accurate. Jesus is not setting himself against Moses. You know, the, old, the, 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 uh, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is not setting himself against Moses, but he is setting himself against those who, like the religious leaders he's addressing, have interpreted the law to turn quote, God's covenant of grace into a covenant of works. Go to Campbell here. So they, some have turned God's covenant of grace into a covenant of work. And so the heretic, by the way, is named Marcion. And he saw this as a competition between Jesus and the Old Testament. And sometimes people will see this. I don't want you to read your Bible and say, well, the God of the Old Testament, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. And people feel that way, right? So Jesus says this way, you've heard it was said, He's not rejecting what was said, but more likely here rejecting their interpretation of it. Remember, Jesus shows us that kingdom people live by a higher standard of the heart. So one commentator um, translates it this way um, and and says, you have understood. This is what you understood. But here's the more full understanding of this as well. So it's not their understanding of the issues with their understanding, not with how the law is written. And again, because we believe the Bible, all the Bible, is the inerrant word of God. And so it's written as God intended it to be. He said, well, you're not probably understanding. So Jesus is contrasting the normal understanding with deeper understanding with him as the fulfiller. He's the fulfiller of the law. And and, and it's beautiful to see all the picture that's here. Um, So God had, the men of old, actually, in this case, uh, were Israelites, led out of the Egyptian bondage into the wilderness, received... The Ten Commandments called the Decalogue at Mount Sinai. These are Abraham's descendants, the forefathers of Jesus and foremothers of Jesus' audience, and the foundation of the Jewish people. God forbade them from murder, uh, the premeditated act of killing, uh, slaying another person. But murder was never permitted in the Old Testament, right? Jesus reminds them of the consequence of murder. He actually says, whoever murders will be liable for judgment, which seems like a reasonable thing. By the way, he's not actually quoting the Old Testament verse here, but he's summarizing the consequences are laid out in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. So the Old Testament teaches that murder is an affront to God for multiple reasons. Um, humanity is created in God's image. To murder someone is to destroy that image, which is going to be a key theme here. Remember that. It's not a, this is, think of what a vandal does when they spray graffiti over a priceless work of art, right? Now multiply that exponentially, and you've got a glimpse of what it means to destroy the image of God in a person. There's a value within humanity that goes beyond even our createdness. All things are created, but not all things are equal. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. And we know this because nothing else created. It was endowed with God's image like we are. Right? So, in calling his listeners to a higher righteousness that goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus, notice, you can't murder because everyone's created in the image of God, right? I want you not to miss this, right? This is the iceberg moment, right? So, the tip of the iceberg is you can't kill people because they're created in the image of God. And God in the Old Testament passes is so serious about murder that he describes the ultimate punishment for murder. But Jesus listeners would have readily understood the teaching and would have been in full agreement because the big picture of Jesus shows us that kingdom people live by a higher standard of the heart. But here's what I don't want you to miss, right? This is what I love about this, right? So remember here that, let me share a screen with you. Remember here that Jesus is, um, is saying, let me put this up, Uh, that jesus is saying hopefully you're looking at my screen let me just make sure you are i'll be looking at the full screen didn't want to see the full screen not there's anything wrong with the full screen but that's not what you want to see let me put it up here this should do it right okay share okay so um so that's my notes by the way that you saw so jesus says whoever murders will be liable for judgment right true factual but then we see the rest of the iceberg we see the rest of the iceberg. And I don't want you to miss this. This is the beauty. And it really is a beautiful thing to see how this works. Because he says in Matthew five twenty two, but I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, can I just, can I just ask you to just back off of the last part of that verse for just a second? Because what everyone wants to do is say, what does that mean? So if I call someone a fool, I'm going to hell, just stay with me for just a moment and we'll walk through this passage together but there's an escalation that's going on here in this passage It starts with you should murder okay everybody gets that then it says everyone's angry is liable whoever insults will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire now let's let's look at and see what's going on here because it's really really fascinating really 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 important so let me let me share with you a couple of things. Um, the rest of the iceberg is what I call this, because we're looking at the top 10% you can't kill. But then Jesus is saying, oh, it's so much more. He says, but I say to you is found repeatedly in Matthew 5. We're going to see that. Jesus is not adding to the law. Don't miss this. He's giving a more complete understanding of it. He's fulfilling it. God's covenant people had understood the law to prohibit murder, but Jesus says murder is much more than ending people's life. You might say, well, I'm not murdering, but I'm kind of a big jerk to everybody. That does not work. So the Pharisees interpreted the Sixth Amendment to prohibit shedding blood. Jesus goes deeper, taking issue of the heart, the full iceberg, the 91%. Anger is often sinful and just as damaging in God's kingdom as murder, especially when directed at a brother in the faith. But people only see the letter of the law. And they believe they're walking in righteousness because they're not murdering everyone. So, And the last people want to focus on is calling a person a fool. Literally, it's empty-headed. Well, how might that relate? The okay, image of God. So calling a person a fool dehumanizes the person, ignoring the image of God in them. Even worse, doing this to a brother disregards their very place in the kingdom. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. It's not true. It's particularly not true when we demean fellow followers of Jesus. So we see a picture here. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees. It's not enough to obey the letter of the law. You shall not murder means more than physically murdering somebody. One is not conformed um, to the full righteousness that Jesus speaks of just because you haven't murdered somebody. So Jesus teaching, there's an underlying issue. There's something below the surface of the water. Not just the 9% on top of the iceberg, but the 91% below. And some preachers have argued like a gradation or an escalation of the verse. They see a stepping stone of penalties that presumes a corresponding stepping stone of insults, right? Notice the penalty for the first and third offenses. Being angry demands judgment. Same word that Jesus uses for the penalty for murder in 21. His hearers wouldn't have missed that, nor would they have been anything other than shocked to hear that being angry at one's brother deserves the same penalty as murder. So don't miss that because the penalty for murder in the Old Testament was the death penalty. And he uses the same word for judgment, for being angry. So very strong words. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's a hard uh, spiritual pill to swallow. Jesus judges our actions and our hearts. We just judge our actions, but Jesus, we don't judge our hearts. This is precisely what Jesus does. This is how Jesus teaches. This is what we want to see and understand so we can fully walk in the teaching of Christ. Let me go through some verses quickly because we are running out of time. Can I tell you, it, it doesn't feel as long when I'm actually sitting in a studio. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we see in the New Testament, right? James 1 if anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue. He deceives, but deceives his heart. His religion is worthless. So angry thoughts and words are judged like murder, in the standard of a holy and perfect god not only are we not to take a life don't want you to miss this right this is the rest of the iceberg now are we not to take a life but we're not to demean a life the disciples of jesus must be content not content must not be content with only outward obedience but recognize our thoughts and speech are as important as our actions and i know you have more questions we're going to go through those in the weeks to come but the message of the old testament prophets is also like this stop following The letter of the law only, but follow the spirit of the law. See the whole iceberg. See the whole iceberg. Jesus shows us that kingdom people live by a higher standard of the heart. So let me end my message where I began my message with this right here. Because this is a picture of the iceberg. And the picture of the iceberg is to remind us that what Jesus is looking for us to understand is that a higher view, a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees, who religiously and specifically and aggressively followed the 9% of the iceberg they could see and missed the iceberg under the water line. And Jesus calls us to a better way. And this is going to be a theme. We'll explain subsequent questions as we go. But I want to close with this. We're a old, long-term, you know, century-plus old church, Baptist church. And I said, growing up Catholic on Long Island and now being a Baptist, we can ourselves follow the pattern where we follow the letter of the law, judge others for following the letter of the law, and... Be very quickly to become haughty and religious people. And Jesus was speaking to haughty and religious people in that day among the sects that were there in first century uh, Israel. So what I want to say to you is, in my heart, lest you thought I was talking about you, in my heart, I find it easier to look religious than to walk righteously with Christ. Isn't that the true for all of us, it's easier to look religious. As a Baptist, it's easier for me to look religious than to actually live the righteousness that comes by faith and then a greater righteousness that comes as being a citizen of God's kingdom. So I wonder if you might pray with me and we might pray together and ask for God's goodness and his grace. Let me say again, thank you for your patience with me. I know um, it's maybe a little strange, not maybe a little, it is a little strange that I'm in another part of the country. We very much miss being there with you, and we'll be there again soon. And looking forward to our whole rest of the year together as we continue through and this this season that we're in. But for me, if you're gonna understand the Gospel of Matthew, you gotta understand this passage, and the iceberg helps me to understand it. And I gotta pray in my own heart, create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Let that below the below the waterline, what people don't see. Be submitted to the Lord Jesus as that above the waterline where I can look righteous but not live righteous. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. I thank you for the time of worship that we've had together here at Calvary. I thank you that we're gathering together and I pray that you might encourage those who, who, uh, who right now are still distant for whatever reason. Um, they can't yet come. Father, I pray you encourage them. And Father, we rejoice that we too can gather together. Father, I pray that you might look to the heart my heart and lord i know we all pray that we pray together look to our hearts lord help us not to be righteous on the outside the nine percent that people see but inside be filled with disobedience and a lack of submission to jesus and his kingdom father i pray that those who may not know you that you may draw them to you today and, Lord, I pray that those who do know you, that we would be reminded that the inclination of the human heart seems to be to follow external rules rather than to submit inter- internally to the gospel and the kingdom. May this message today help us understand the gospel of Matthew, but also help us understand the inclination of our heart. And may we follow you more faithfully because you see below the waterline. You see the true spirit of how we respond and obey. And it's for Jesus' name. For in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, we pray all these things. Amen and amen. Thank you, Calvary, for the opportunity to share with you today. Let's continue our service of worship. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-975. 0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.